0: Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join uh, via the video signal and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Good to have you with us today, and a shout out to our campuses over in Appleton and Stevens Point. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Dev and I were in uh, South Africa speaking at uh, a variety of churches, and we had the privilege of speaking at a church there called Grace Point Church in the Johannesburg area, and got a chance to meet uh, the pastor there and his wife, and very quickly became good friends. Uh, Gary and I text each other all the time (laughs) with insults and all kinds of this. It's a wonderful thing. But uh, uh, he was here last year with us, and uh, actually this morning, he's looking around and says, where's where's Pastor Lathan? And I said, you know, we we only allow one South African in the room at a time. (laughs) So uh, uh, I see Lynn back there actually somewhere. She snuck in, but uh, Pastor Lathan. For those of you, some have asked asked me where he is. He didn't run away. (laughs) He's over in Stevens Point, uh, helping uh, uh, pastor duties over there in the, during a transitional time. Anyway, so uh, Gary was here last year and uh, shared with us. And uh, we, again, we've continued to be good friends. Now, when I first, we first met him two years ago, whatever, they had the one church, a gorgeous church in South Africa. And uh, since then, they've been growing like crazy. They've added six other campuses. There's seven total now for them. So they've surpassed us in, uh, in their growth, which is great. And uh, his personal ministry has grown. He's very well respected. He was uh, 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 elected as a uh, uh, bishop of his uh, fellowship over there, which is a pretty big deal. He doesn't look like a bishop. He looks like a PGA golfer this morning. But uh, anyway, uh, he's, <laughs> he's uh, only uh, one of two white, Uh, bishops in his his fellowship over there in South Africa, overwhelmingly are black people. So that just speaks to how much he's well respected by everybody. So anyway, he's here again with us. Would you please welcome my good friend, the bishop, Gary Rivas. Go Bishop.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Morning everyone. Good to be here again. Thank you so much uh, for the welcoming. Um, Thanks Mark, I appreciate that. Uh, Debbie, good to be here, thank you. Um, So how many of you have been to South Africa? Okay. Is that it? Mark, they are more lost than you told me, man. (laughs) Well, you're invited to come through any time. There'll be a church for you to fellowship at and a place for you to stay. I hope they don't all come at once, Mark. Otherwise, I'm going to be in a bit of trouble. But uh, you'd be welcome there any time. Uh, it's a beautiful country that we that we love so much. So thank you. So I want you for a moment to imagine that you are um, you're walking along, stumbling along in the dark cave. And um, as you're going along, you're stumbling, um, stubbing your toe, um, hitting your head on the low ceiling that you can not see, uh, scratching your uh, arms and all the rest of it because it's crazy in the dark. And uh, just for a moment in the, in, in the distance, you see um, this, this light shining. And so you leave the group of people that you're with and you figure a way to, to go towards a small sort of semblance of light. Eventually, you realize that this light actually leads you to the outside, and after days and days and days of stumbling around in the darkness, you get to escape from this dark cave. It is the most glorious thing ever. You, uh, you feel the warmth of the sunshine on your face. You feel free. You're able to walk tall, and it's a, it's a glorious, glorious sensation to be out of the darkness. So you've got two choices. The one is to continue experiencing that moment, to leave and to to walk out in the darkness and to enjoy the sunshine and the freedom that 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 you've received. But one thing I know is that before long, that sunshine and that warmth will lose its edge, its spark. And after a while, the exhilarance of that moment Be lost. The second choice that you have is to get a rope, tie it around a tree, tie the other end around your waist, and to go back into the dark cave and find others that were in the darkness. And, And let me tell you something bringing someone out that is in the darkness after having gone back in again and finding your way, still, by the way, bumping your toes and knocking your head and and walking into walls and all the rest because it's so dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. When you bring that one person out into the light, the sense and the feeling that you had the first time pales in comparison to what it's like bringing someone else out of the dark cave. The sun is brighter the warmth is just more, it, it, it's just something that you can't beat. The crazy thing is sometimes when you go back into the cave, some of the people criticize you, some of the people ignore you, some of the people reject you. And even with all the rejections and, and, all, the, and all the criticism uh, from the people that, that choose to stay behind in the darkness, just every now and again, Finding someone that will go with you into the light surpasses all the rejection, all the judgment, and it is the most exhilarating feeling you will ever experience. Now, obviously, I'm speaking about, about evangelism. I'm speaking about, for those here this, this morning who have, who have crossed the line of faith, to, who understand the commandment. And just by the way, the church, our faith, amongst other things, is built on two pillars. The one is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the second is the great commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And, and, and any church and any person's life who has crossed the line of faith, that is not built on those two. Ultimately, ultimately, will not know the glory of someone who's come to know Christ. The law of any church, and, and, and should be of this church, of our church back in Johannesburg, of every church, always will be to either evangelize or fossilize. Either evangelize. Or fossilize, And it's not the job of your pastors, in fact, to do the evangelism. It's not only their job. It's the job of every person who, who believes that Christ is their Savior. One of the fathers of our faith, John Wesley, said this. He said, you have nothing to do but to save souls. He was speaking to his preachers. He's saying, therefore, spend and be spent in this work. Do not go only to those that need you, but to those that need you the most. It is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this church or that church, but to save as many souls as you can and to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. That is our call. Even John the Baptist as a precursor to Christ. What was his message? His message was to repent for the kingdom of God is near. And we, my friends, have been called to go back into the cave. We are called to tie the good news of Jesus Christ around our waist, around the tree, to go back into the cave and to bring others out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let's be clear about that today. Of that, you and I cannot differ. We can argue about a whole lot of other things, and there are some things in our faith that we can debate about, and we could be debate until the cows come home. I don't, is that a saying here? It is, okay, good. Man, I'm getting nervous. You know what I'm saying? But on this, we can't debate. This is it. This is a command. It's not when you when you've learned more of the Bible. It's not when you can recite more scriptures. It's not about having had a good attendance at church. It's not about how long you've been a Christian for. None of that. And that one day you can wake up and go, well, today, if it's okay, and if I feel like it, and if I've got time, I might go out and share the gospel. This is about obedience. And every one of us that have crossed the line of faith have been called to do it. Now, just now, every single one of you stood up here in, in this place and across all the campuses and you, and you repeated the Apostles' Creed. And you yourself in the house of God spoke about the time when Christ will come back to judge the living and the dead. Charles Spurgeon said this, remembering what you have said about the Apostles' Creed. He said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees. But let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. My biggest fear is that on that day of judgment, that my neighbor or people that I know that have been condemned look at me and go, not even once did you tell me. Not even once did you invite me to church, not even once. Did you tell me about God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness not once? So I go to in the scriptures in John chapter 4 and there's a story of an amazing evangelist. The woman at the well. And um, in John chapter 4, Jesus goes to Samaria, and he meets this woman at a well, busy drawing water. And he starts telling her about this living water that he offers her, that she could experience forgiveness and love and grace. And from that moment, she leaves, and she goes back into the village to share the good news That she has heard from jesus christ now put it into context this well was on outside of town uh, and we we led to believe that the reason why she was drawing water from the well outside the village was because she was a woman who had a very dubious past we'll speak about that just now and what would happen we think is that as she came to the the well in the middle of the village Everyone else standing around the well, when she arrived there because of who she was, would stop talking. And would start laughing and pointing fingers and judging her. You see, she had gone through five husbands already and was staying with her sixth man. And so she was an embarrassment to the village. So Jesus Speaks to her, tells him about his, about his grace, about living water, about all of this. And she then goes from there back into the village. And so I want to pick it up from verse 39 after Jesus' encounter with her. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers He said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So a couple of things that you and I can learn. Three things, in fact. First is this. Do you notice how Jesus intentionally positions himself to be a witness? I mean, this is not the place that he would normally find himself at all. In fact, this encounter from a religious perspective should never ever have happened at all. They were so different on so many levels because one of the things that gets in the way of you and I evangelizing is actually we just enjoy being around people that like, look like us, speak like us, and behave like us. We do. To go to people who are different to us is difficult if we're honest about it. Culturally, they were different. As far as as Jesus should have been concerned, she was a pagan. She wasn't religious at all. Racially, she was known as a half-breed. When the Syrians attacked and invaded Israel, there was intermarriage, and so the, the, the Jews really rejected the Samaritans. Religiously, they were poles apart. You see, any other self-respecting male Jew would have gone around Samaria to get to where they wanted to go. Not Jesus, him and his followers go through Samaria. Any self-respecting Jew wouldn't even put his foot down on Samaritan land. And so he makes an effort to get there. Doesn't go through the normal route. And so he sits down by the well Again, no Jewish male would ever be seen alone talking to a female. Even a Jewish female. But here, he's sitting down speaking to a Samaritan woman of ill repute. He positions himself where the lost world is, in that place. He went where religious people would not go. Because that's one thing about, for those who have crossed the line of faith, we don't go where... Where people who are different on whatever level, or certainly we do not go, where sin is involved. In fact, we're taught to stay away from sin, and from sinners even sometimes. He went there where religious people would not go. No religious person would have been in that position. Do you know that we are then called sometimes as Christ followers if we're going to be evangelists? if we're going to spread the word of God, this here is not the ideal place that we position ourselves to evangelize. We are called to go outside of this building and to position ourselves for witness. You see, when we position ourselves to witness to others, it puts us in the center of God's work. We think that when we go out there to evangelize, and some of the fears that you and I face when it comes to evangelism, that we get criticized, that we get judged, oh, you call yourself a Christian, listen how you speak, listen to what you do. People remind us, of us oh, that we're actually not that brilliant. But in fact, when we position ourselves for witness, we find ourselves in the middle of God's work. Is that not the role of God that He calls us to evangelize on His behalf? And so when we position ourselves for witness, we find ourselves in the center of God's work. to another great historian, said this, How shall I feel at the judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all my excuses prove to be disguises of my cowardice and pride? I was reading of the, of, uh, the story in Acts 8 of, the, of Philip one of the followers, and an Ethiopian. So Philip gets told, go south. By, this, by An angel tells him, go south. Going south was not a good place to go, seriously, south of Jerusalem. It's through Gaza. It's through like just not a good place. But he's obedient to the, to the whisper. He goes south. As he goes south, the Holy Spirit speaks to him again and says to him, go to that carriage over there. And in this coach is an Ethiopian reading the book of Isaiah. Twice in a short period of time does he hear the, the, the angel speak to him and second time hears the Holy Spirit speak to him because God sets, him up, sets up a divine appointment for him, for Philip. Philip witnesses to the guy. Eventually the guy gets baptized in water, gets baptized, and then goes back to Ethiopia and changes the nation. I wonder to myself how many divine appointments I've missed. Because you know what, my calendar, my diary rules my life. There is no time for me to position myself anywhere outside of my diary and my calendar. And so in a sense, there there is no time for me to hear the whisper of an angel or the whisper of the Holy Spirit to go south or to go and set up and go to uh, fulfill a divine appointment set up by God. And so my question to you then, because I don't want to carry this by myself, is when is the last time you were open to the whisper of God that set up at a divine appointment for you to be able to witness to someone? Or even when is the last time you intentionally positioned yourself for a witness? Because that's what it's about, friends. It's about positioning ourselves in the centre of God's work. Do you also notice, secondly, that Jesus accepts this woman where she was, but He loved her enough to offer her more. He accepted her for where she was, but He loved her enough to offer her more. Man, she was different. She was actually filled with prejudice. Early on, she goes. How can you ask me for a drink of water? You're a Jew. She was very sarcastic. She said to him in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? She has a self-serving false spirituality. Yes, then give me this water if you can. She's a liar. She says to him, she says to Jesus, I have no husband. Meanwhile, she's already had five and she's living with with a sixth. As the world saw her, she had a bad reputation A bad attitude and a bad lifestyle, yet Jesus accepted her right where she was. You see, you and I forget that when we gave our lives to Christ, for those that have crossed the line of faith, we forget that when we came to that moment of acceptance and opening our heart, the instruction was never go and sort your life out first and come back again when you've sorted your life out, the instruction was come as you are with your sin, with your baggage, with your, with your demons, with your darkness, whatever it was. The world saw bad reputation, bad attitude, bad lifestyle. This doesn't mean that Jesus condones her behavior, but listen to this, friends. It means that Jesus is willing to dwell near sin in order to reach people who are in sin. Jesus is prepared to dwell near sin in order to reach people who are in sin. But we don't see it that way. Because if if the average person in this church or the the leaders in this church drove past a strip bar and saw my truck parked outside the strip joint, (laughs) you're not going to be going, oh, Gary is there evangelizing. Am I right? You're going to be going, he's laying hands on people. (laughs) If you know what I mean. We get on our mobiles. You can't believe where I saw Pastor Gary today to one of our friends. Because we told stay away from sin and stay away from sinful places. Jesus was willing to dwell near sin in order to reach people who are in sin because friends... We are not called to be a holy huddle. But we are called to offer people something in that place. He offers her forgiveness. He offers her eternal life. He offers her heaven, not hell. It's easy for us to go and tell people, you know, if you do not, hell is waiting for you. It's easy to offer, to to try and frighten people or judge people into the kingdom. It never works though. Jesus saw her need, not her sin. And so we we often judge people by what we see. Mark opened up my my eyes to this part of Scripture. I was listening to him once, preaching on this. Some of you may remember. And he spoke about this woman. And he spoke about what she must have looked like. You see, I, I have the same understanding, is that when we read the Scriptures... We have have been given an imagination and a creative mind that we have to lean into. Don't just, you have to imagine when you read the scriptures, what does the person look like? What is the conversation like? What was the smell like? What was the scenery like? If you want to make the Bible come alive, part of it is using our imagination. So what do you think she looked like? He reminded us that in fact she was smoking hot. I mean, she must have been the most beautiful woman ever. Vivacious and, and sort of out there, wasn't she? Because do, do you think that the five men that married her going, hmm, I can imagine us sitting out in the garden drinking sundowners, talking about the latest novel that's come out. I don't think anyone married her for her brains or her, or her personality. No? Five men? But you see, people reject our judgment instead of accepting God's forgiveness because we judge people by what they look like or what they're doing. Jesus sees the hurt, the loneliness, the guilt, the real hurt. He knew what she needed, forgiveness, love, and hope. Someone said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And isn't that true? You see, the thing is, as people come to me, and they say, Gary, you've got to see this movie, or you've got to go and eat at this restaurant, or you've got to go to this place. They tell me because they love me, and they want to introduce me to something that they've experienced. So instead of going to people and just judging, we go to people to offer them because we love them. The great commandment. I love you so much that I want to introduce you to something that I've experienced. I love you so much because I've met someone who can turn your life upside down. I've met you, I love you so much that I don't want to see you sitting in this place of darkness, of shame, of guilt, of unforgiveness. I love you so much that I don't want to see you imprisoned any longer by evil. I love you so much that I want to offer you something that's changed my life. Love someone enough to offer them more. And then finally, Jesus knew he could reach many through the changed life of one. He knew that. You see, what we sometimes do, the mistake we make is we're thinking it's too much. There's too much for us to do. There's no ways that we could reach everyone. But we need to change our thinking on that. I mean, yeah, we have the Ethiopian with Philip that goes back to Ethiopia and and does a miracle. You you just have to read about Jesus when he crosses to the other side in the Gospels and he meets the the man who's got seven demons. uh, The scripture tells us that Jesus was chased out of town after he released the seven demons and he had to get back in his boat and go back to the other side where he came from. So hostile were the people to him there. Well, the man who was released of these demons said to Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, stay here. Go back to your village. If you read the scriptures about two chapters later on, Jesus goes back to the other side. And because of that man's influence, 4,000 people came to know Christ. That one man that was demon possessed. This one woman changed And when one person changes because of the gospel, and by the way, for those who have crossed the line of faith, you are the one that someone came to you and preached the gospel over your life, and you are the one that gets to change others. And so the local prostitute becomes Sarcher's first gospel witness. The first evangelist ever recorded was a woman changed. The woman of shame Confesses that there is one who knows her every deed. Changed. The one who was experienced in every bit of flesh. Trust me. Offers testimony about the one who satisfied her spiritual need. Changed. The great sinner. Six time failure at love. Shares the greatest love of all. Changed the one with whom the men of the village would never, ever be seen within daylight. Think about this for a moment. Serious reputation. Man walking down the street in the village. She's walking on the same side of the road as him on the sidewalk. The men would intentionally walk to the other side because they would want nothing to do with her because of her reputation. So the men... In that village, who would never be seen with her in daylight, the scripture tells us follow her after she's gone back into the village to tell about you. Follow her to see this Jew who was the enemy, and in fact, invite him to come into the village where he stays for two days. These same men. So my wife, Jackie, wasn't able to come out with me this year, but last year some of you met her. I'm walking with her in the mall in Joburg. As a walking along next to me, and uh, this woman comes walking past us. <laughs> and I looked. <laughs> it was quick. It was just like one of these. <laughs> she was beautiful. And um, so I had a quick look and looked forward again. Jackie, without skipping a beak, Beat, says to me, is that worth all the trouble you're in? (laughs) I'm thinking, hell yeah. (laughs) 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 The one with whom the men of the city would never be seen within daylight is following her en masse to see who's a Jew that's the enemy. One life changed brings about a harvest for the kingdom because of the one woman who testified. So, this is the deal. This is the deal. Position yourself. Position yourself for witnessing. Where you are right now in your work, in your school, wherever you are, is not an accident. You are not there by chance. We in South Africa say you, it's not a fluke that you're there. But apparently you don't use that word here. What do you say? Fluke. So, <laughs> it's not a fluke that you, that just doesn't sound right on any level. But anyway, but it's not a fluke that, ah, oh, doesn't matter. Anyway, it's not a chance, it's not by chance that you find yourself in your position you are where you are. You see, the thing is, when you cross the line of faith, you give your life to God, you say, nothing I have, nothing in terms of who I am and what I am and where I am belongs to me anymore. We make that commitment to God. So where you are positioned right now is not by chance. You have been positioned there to be a witness. My greatest fear, I did this funeral the once, and there was a guy in our congregation, an amazing man, front seat helper, just incredible faithful man every Sunday in church and the one day I went to go and visit him because there was a new church that I was at I wanted to go and thank him for just being supportive and all the rest that I've been there for about two three months and I got there and he was on his way home and I was sitting having tea with his wife and I said to her man your husband is is just incredible and she said to me you don't have to live with him And that is the truth. He's witness. I, 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 just, I bury a man. Same thing. I speak about what a great faithful person he was in our church. as I got off the funeral. One of his colleagues says to me, I never knew that man was a Christian. Position yourself. Love people enough to show them more. And remember, they're just one changed person. So my challenge to you today as a wrap up is this. Some of you may have my sense is that too many of us have lost our, you know, the joy of our salvation. You know, we remember what it was like when we crossed, our line of, crossed the line of faith the first time. We had this fire that was burning in our belly. There was this excitement for the gospel. There was this man, there was this exuberance, this, this, this zeal that we had. Some of us have lost our shine, some of us have lost the, the power. Some of us, we find ourselves in a rut. You see, we 're good at putting on faces for the people around us, But if people around us had to really know what's going on inside us. And part of the reason why we 've lost the fire in our bellies is because we haven't gone back into the cave. And we think that we can enjoy the sunshine and feel the warmth on our faces for eternity. There is nothing. Like going back into the cave. There is nothing like tying the rope of the good news around a tree around our waist and going back into that cave and coming out with someone that sets our lives on fire for God more than that. Let's pray. So Father, forgive us, we pray. We have been disobedient. We have not fulfilled your commandment over our life, we have been scared, we have kept our faith to our souls. Forgive us, we pray. Give us the power and the knowledge of your presence to go back into the cave, that we too may show people the light that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone.
0: Amen.